This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. Well, good morning and happy Easter to you. Christ is risen. Alleluia. Alleluia. We get to say that a lot this morning, which is a wonderful thing. Uh, my name is Will, and if it's your first time here or your first time back in a while, we're so glad to have you here with us. Um, I'm, the, I'm the kind of person who loves birthdays. So when Emma asks, what do you want for your birthday? Usually what I want is to be with as many people as possible, with as many people that I love. And I even love if they bring their friends because I just want a party. I mean, why not? It's a birthday. Let's just celebrate. Let's just have fun. And what you might not know is that this week is our church's birthday. On Palm Sunday, was it 1954? Church of the Resurrection was born. We are 69 years old this week. That's wonderful. We can clap for that. But there's more. Because during Holy Week and on Easter Sunday, we also celebrate the, the birth of the church. And this year, give or take a few years, the church is 2,023 years old. So can we clap for that? Happy birthday to the church. But on a, on a day like this, where, where there's so much joy and singing, where there's, where there's so much ceremony, you know, the robes and the, and the flowers and the incense and all of this, it can be easy to feel like an outsider. It can feel easy to feel like an outsider. And, and so maybe that's just because all of this is kind of new and strange to you. You're not, you're not exactly a church person. Somebody's kind of brought you here. Hey, you'll like this. And so far you're like, I'm here, but what was it that I was supposed to? This is just kind of odd. You can feel on the outside on a morning like this. Or it could be that, that your heart is weighed down by some, by some grief in your life. And despite all of the joy, it's just difficult to enter in and join with others. It can feel easy, or it can be easy to feel like an outsider this morning. And so if that's you, you're actually in good company. Because the Bible passage that we read this morning from Acts chapter 10, and that's on page 918. If you, if you want to pull out your Bible, you can do that. They're in the, the chair in front of you. The person in front of you won't mind if you take that Bible, because unless they're in the front row, they have a Bible in front of them, too. And if they're in the front row, they brought their Bible. <laughs> it's page 918. <laughs> um, it can be easy to feel like an outsider, but Acts chapter 10 is about an outsider. It's about a man named Cornelius. He was a Roman soldier. He wasn't Jewish. He was on the outside looking in on this faith. He was interested. He was learning about God, but he was still on the outside. And in a lot of ways, Cornelius was a man like many of you. He was successful, Successful in his work. I mean, as a centurion, that means he was over a hundred other soldiers in his job. And he's successful. Maybe at this point in his life, he's even retired. Retired, living in Caesarea, this beachside town on the Mediterranean. Cornelius had a family. 
and he was a genuinely good person. People spoke well of him. He gave money to the poor. And yet, despite all of these things, Cornelius was not satisfied. Despite all that he had going for him, he was looking for something more. And that search led him to religion. His search for something more led him to religion. And, and this writer, David Foster Wallace, says, you know, religion's actually a, a good choice if you're looking for something more. Because there's a lot of things that you could build your life around. You know, you could build your life around beauty, or you could build your life around romance, or, or success, or money, or, or like your kids being successful. You could build your life around any of those things, but eventually those things are, are gonna eat you alive. And religion at least has a chance of making you feel fulfilled and satisfied. And so we don't know all the reasons, but Cornelius, he's on his search. It leads him to religion. And many of us have a similar story. We're here this morning because at some point in our lives, maybe we encountered a difficulty. You know, we were disappointed and unfulfilled. And that led us to think, man, there has got to be more to life than this, this thing that I was living for. Or we started this search for something more because maybe something good happened in our lives. We had like the birth of a child. And all of a sudden we had this responsibility and we thought, man, if I'm gonna care for this living human being in this crazy and scary world, I'm gonna need some help. And so that search led us into the church. Or maybe it was just that, that you know, you realize that life is short. And surely, surely there's something more than our brief, temporary life on earth. Whatever it was, experiences like these perhaps helped you find your way here in this search for something more. And another writer named Walker Percy says that this kind of search this kind of search is what anyone would do if they weren't sunk in the everydayness of their own life. The search for something more is what anyone would undertake if they weren't sunk in the everydayness, the busyness, the tasks of their own life. And experiences like these wake us up. There's got to be more to life but where do I find it? And something like this happened for Cornelius. And so interestingly, when Cornelius, this Roman soldier, goes on his search, he doesn't go to, like, the mainstream options. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't worship Zeus or Apollos or Athena or Ares, you know, these other Roman gods that you've heard about. But he goes to a lesser-known religion, a minority religion, of Judaism, which is surprising because he's not Jewish. This isn't what he grew up with. It's not what would have been comfortable to him. And he began learning about the Jewish God and learning how to pray to him, and he began praying to him continually every single day. And one afternoon, something happened that was different than every other afternoon before. 
because the something more that Cornelius was looking for broke through. It broke through his every day. Cornelius had this spiritual experience. He had a vision. He was praying there, and, and I'm, sure, I'm sure before he would have thought, this is the kind of vision that, like, other people have. This is the kind of vision that, like, really religious, spiritual people have. This is maybe the kind of vision that crazy people have. But today it was happening to him. He's sitting there praying, and all of a sudden he sees a man in front of him, and this man knows his name, Cornelius. And Cornelius is terrified, as any of us would be, and he says, what do you want? And this man says, send your servants to find a man named Peter. Send your servants to go find a man named Peter living in this other town and bring him back. And then the vision is over. I mean, talk about a revelation. That's it. There's no, like, the angel is not, you know, oh, by the way, here's where I'm coming from. You know, this is the God that I'm representing, Cornelius. He doesn't say any of that. He doesn't say why he's showing up to Cornelius. He just says, go find Peter. And so Cornelius does. He sends his servants, and he waits, perhaps thinking, am I out of my mind? Am I out of my mind? Did I really just see and hear what I think I saw and heard? And he waits, and four days later, his servants return, and this guy, this Jewish guy named Peter, is with them. See, Cornelius was searching for God. But do you know what this vision tells us? It tells us that actually, God was searching for Cornelius. Cornelius was searching for God. He was praying, but the fact that this angel, this vision shows up, the fact that God speaks to Peter and says, hey, some guys are going to come and you should go with them. The fact that God arranges all of that shows that while Cornelius was looking for God, God was looking for Cornelius. And I think of this like the Matrix. Do you guys remember the Matrix? You know, remember how at the beginning of the film, before like Neo is really special, he's just like kind of this grungy computer programmer in his really dirty apartment, you know, like clicking on things with his really slow internet, okay? And he's looking for Morpheus. He falls asleep at the computer, and then, and then these words appear, wake up, Neo. And the words don't tell him much, they tell him what to do next, but soon he encounters Morpheus. He meets this person that he's been looking for all the while. And Morpheus, you know, Lawrence Fishburne's character says to him, Neo, you've been looking for me for a few years, but I've spent my entire life looking for you. This is the experience of encountering God. We might search for him in all these different ways, but God is searching for us. This kind of thing happens over and over in the Bible. And story after story, God reveals himself not because people say the magic words, right, and like rub the magic bottle and, you know, see if he comes out. 
That's not why God shows up. That's not why he reveals himself. Over and over in the Bible, God reveals himself not because people are especially holy and good. In fact, he reveals himself to a whole lot of unholy, really bad, objectively bad people. But why? Why does God reveal himself? Because God wants to be known. God wants to be known. Yes, he is often hidden, but he longs to be known, and he reveals himself that we would know him. God is on the search for us. God was on the search for Cornelius. And so you can look at verse 34. Peter shows up, and this is what he says. These are the words that Cornelius needs to hear. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. And what he's saying there is he's basically just acknowledging, Peter's saying, like, I'm Jewish. We're talking about my God here. You're not Jewish. You're an outsider. But I just want to let you know, God is not partial only to his own people. God wants to be known by everyone. And he says, in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And that word acceptable means welcome. As in Cornelius, you are welcome. Come in, come closer, don't be afraid. You're looking for God, but the good news is that God is looking for you. And then what does Peter say? He says, Cornelius, you want to know about God? You're on this search. You've had this experience, this spiritual experience that's woken you up that you can't explain. Well, here's the deal. If you want to know about God, then I have to tell you about a man named Jesus. If you want to know God, the way is Jesus. If you want to know God, the way is Jesus. And you think, what a bold claim. What a narrow and almost like offensive claim. I mean, all these people in the world, all these religions in the world, and Peter's going to say, yeah, but the thing is, you got to know this guy. If you want to know God up there, you got to know this guy right here. How narrow. Can we at least agree there's something special about Jesus? Even if you're non-religious, there's something inspiring, like even captivating about Jesus. The stories about him in the Bible. I mean, he was just a poor Jew living in the Roman Empire. There were millions of them. He was just a guy who was crucified on a cross. There were probably millions or at least thousands of them too. Why do we know Jesus' name? I mean, we know he existed, but why do we know so much about him, even if we're not religious? Why did this guy's life change human history? And you listen to his words and you hear his teachings about the dignity 
of every human person. Right? You read these stories where he's spending time with the outcasts, I mean, the true outsiders in society, where he's showing mercy and compassion to the people that are so often pushed aside. He's welcoming them in. He has these beautiful words, you know, whatever you did for the least of these, you did unto me. I mean, his teachings about dignity are captivating. They're beautiful. You think about his teachings about, about nonviolence. If somebody strikes you on the cheek, turn to them the other as well. I mean, these, these writings are the writings that inspired Martin Luther King Jr. and so many other justice movements around the world. We know the name of Jesus because these teachings are captivating. And then talk about, you know, the idea that love, sacrificial love, giving yourself for another, even giving yourself for somebody who has harmed you, forgiving them, blessing them in that. This idea of sacrificial love is more powerful than hate or violence. I mean, all of these ideas stem from Jesus. There's something special about him. There's something unique about his example in world history. I mean, no wonder 2,000 years later we're still talking about this guy. And all of that's true. Jesus is captivating as a teacher and as an example. But when Peter says, you've got to know about Jesus in order to know about God, he doesn't talk about any of that. He doesn't talk about Jesus' wonderful teachings. He doesn't talk about Jesus' wonderful example. Because teachings and a wonderful example, they're not enough. They're not enough. I mean, we've had 2,000 years since Jesus, and things are still pretty rotten. Amen? Like, the news is still pretty sad to read. It's still pretty depressing. I mean, you hear this phrase that sounds so nice. The arc of the universe is bending towards justice. And of course, I want to believe that. And in some sense, I do believe that. In some sense. But really? The arc of the universe is bending towards justice? Would you say that to a Ukrainian right now? Would that make sense to them? You say the arc of the universe is bending towards justice. The, the violence that we read about in Tennessee, multiple acts of violence just this spring. Does that suggest that the arc of the universe is really bending towards justice? You see, we've had Jesus' teachings. We've had his good example. But if all Jesus was was a good teacher, then we are in trouble because there's still great evil in this world that is not overcome simply by his good example, simply by his teachings. And you can think of those, those kind of evil things that are far away, but if you've ever been somebody who's tried to love those around you, then, then you become familiar with perhaps lesser evils, but still evils within yourself. If you've ever tried to love somebody else, you've been confronted with obstacles, not out there, but within. You know, the same old fight, the same old argument you've always been having with your spouse, 
with your loved one, with your parent. You just can't seem to get out of the cycle. The same old destructive habit. You say, I'm never going to do this again. I'm never going to go back to that. And the very next day, you're back in it. The same old insecurity, the same old self-pity that causes you to harm the very people that you really just long to receive love from. If you've ever been a person who's tried to love somebody else, then you have encountered evil, not out there, but within. And Jesus' teachings and his good example, as wonderful as they are, they're not enough. If that's all we have, we're in trouble. We need something more, and it's the something more that Peter tells Cornelius about. Why is Jesus the way to God? Because God, and Peter is saying, I was an eyewitness. I saw these things. It's not like I was, you know, kind of handed down this story, but I saw these things with my own eyes. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. God anointed Jesus with power from somewhere else. And with this power, Jesus went about doing good and healing all of those who were oppressed by the devil, all of those who were oppressed by evil, all of those who found themselves stuck. He went around healing them, for God was with them. Jesus, he is the help we need. Yes, because he's a teacher. Yes, because he's a moral example, but also because he has power over evil to enable us to do the things that on our own we are incapable of doing. I mean, you think, you go to a hospital, and you're, you're, you're bleeding, and you need help, and you're there in the ER, and you say, doctor, help me, and the doctor says, well, if you eat all bran, that's a really good source of fiber, and you should be getting 10,000 steps every day, and if you do that, you should live a reasonably long, healthy, and happy life. You'd be furious. You'd say, doctor, I'm bleeding. I have a wound. I need help. I need more than just good advice. I need help. I need you to do something that I can't do for myself. And that is what Peter is telling Cornelius about, that Jesus has power to enable you to do the things you cannot do on your own. Jesus is the way to God because he alone has power over the things that keep us from God, over the things that keep us from one another, over the things that that keep us, you know, from ourselves, that cause so much disruption even within ourselves. He is the God who entered into our suffering the God who came down from heaven and entered into our broken world and took all of that evil upon himself and offered it as a sacrifice to God on the cross and then emerged victorious, never to die again. You hear stories about people who were raised to life again. Well, all of them had this in common. They died again, but not Jesus. The resurrection is not a resuscitation where he's alive again, but then he dies, and it's kind of a neat story, you know, that you, you, you see on TV. No, the resurrection is unique 
because he was raised to life and never dies again. He alone has power over death, over the things that keep us from God. And so Peter tells Cornelius, I've got something better for you than simply a new religion. I've got something better for you than simply a new set of, of practices that will maybe help you along with your all brand and your daily exercise. I've got something better for you than nice teachings you can apply to your life and, and maybe put on your, your Instagram page. What I'm offering you is the power of God himself. And if you're honest, you know that you need that. If you're honest with your own struggle to love those around you, you know that you need something that you don't already possess. Peter says, you can have that, Cornelius. You're welcome. You're searching for God, but God is searching for you. And he is offering you the power of God himself in Christ Jesus, living in you, and his power will have the final word. And the Bible says that as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on Cornelius and everybody in his house that was listening. I mean, which is to say that something rose up in Cornelius that said, this is it. This is it. This is the something more that I was searching for. This is the something more that I didn't have and that I, I, I knew I needed. I'm experiencing it. This is what I've been looking for all along. And if you think that the miracle of this story is that Cornelius saw an angel, you'd be wrong. I mean, think about it. The angel does not tell him very much. Go find a guy named Peter. Doesn't say anything about who he is or why he's coming to Cornelius. And Cornelius, his life is not changed by that spiritual experience. Spiritual experiences like those, I mean, maybe not seeing an angel, but in general, spiritual experiences are somewhat common doesn't mean they transform our lives. But the angel says, go find Peter, listen to him. And what Peter said, you have access to that same message this morning. In the pages of scripture, you have access to the same powerful gospel. The miracle is not that Peter, or that, that Cornelius saw an angel, the miracle is that Cornelius believed. Cornelius believed in a man, Jesus, who he'd never met, who he'd never seen, who he probably will never see until the day he dies, but he believed. And that power of Jesus flowed into his life. That's the miracle. And that is the miracle that is possible, that is given to you today. You have the opportunity to believe. 
you have the opportunity to say, Lord, I do believe, but not very much. Would you help my unbelief? Would you fill me with even more faith? And the same spirit that empowered Jesus to rise from the dead can flow into your life as well. I don't know your story, but, but here's mine. Here's how this worked for me. When I was a kid, I, didn't, I grew up occasionally going to church, but not enough to feel comfortable there. And so I'd show up, and, and people would talk about the Bible, and I knew very little about the Bible, really except what I'd seen on, like, The Simpsons, maybe, which isn't very much, and it's not very accurate, as I found out. I also felt like a certain degree of shame in church because I came from a broken family, and it seemed to me like, like all of my friends had intact parents, and their parents were, were with them at church. And I didn't have any of that, and so I just felt like an, like an outsider. And my parents happened to send me to a, a Christian summer camp where, you know, they thought I'd be exposed to some good, like, teachings, you know, and some good examples. And so one night, I'm, I'm sitting there under the starry sky, and we were instructed to pray, and so I'm trying to take this seriously, and I'm praying. And all of a sudden, I just have this sense, just this sense, these words, you can know me if you want to. I just have this sense, I th that's God. Will, you can know me if you want to. And so sitting there under the stars, I mean, I can remember it so clearly. I, I said, okay, God, I, I do want to know you. And that was it. I went back to my cabin. I didn't tell my counselor about it. It was a spiritual experience. I recognize that now. That was my angel moment, but I didn't think much of it at the time. I'm just talking to my counselor. He says, hey, when you go home, you should buy a Bible. That'd be good to have and get it in a translation that's easier to understand than the one that you have, and say, okay. And when you go home, you should find a youth group. You should find a church that you can belong in, which is essentially what my counselor was saying was, go find Peter. Go find the apostolic message. Go find the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life, his teachings, his examples, of Jesus' death, of Jesus' resurrection. Go find Peter and find it in the Bible and find it in the church that's built on the apostles' ministry. Go find Peter. And so I went home and I did those things. I bought a Bible and, and not too long later, I saw this kid with a really ugly bright orange shirt and I said, hey, is that a church shirt? Is that like a youth group? He's like, yeah. I'm like, can I go with you sometime? And he was like, whoa. <laughs> My youth pastor told me this would happen. If we wore these ugly shirts, people would take notice. I was like, yeah, whatever. Like, I, can I come? And it was awkward at first. I felt that same discomfort that it didn't really, you know, fit there. But slowly, as I learned more about the Bible, as I experienced the love of the church, as I realized these church people are not judgmental like I was afraid they'd be. They're not so scary. They actually care a lot about me, even though I'm a goofball. The more that I experienced the Bible, the more that I experienced the church, I realized there is a power here that I can't find anywhere else. 
there's a power here that I haven't been exposed to growing up that, that I can't find at school or on my sports team or whatever was going on in my life at the time. A power to heal insecurity. A power to, to restore relationships. A power to, to, to put an end to generational patterns of destructive behavior. And now as I'm experiencing a power even to face death without fear. That's the power that Jesus offers. That's the power of Jesus in his death and resurrection. And you can know him because he's looking for you. He's opening himself to you. You can know him. You can believe in him. And everyone who truly seeks him, everyone who truly seeks him, these are Peter's words, everyone who seeks him is welcome. Come in. Come in and receive the gift of God in Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you send your Holy Spirit upon us to settle in our hearts? Lord, would you give us courage to believe the things that we read and hear in the pages of Scripture? Would you give us the courage to believe that you really do have power over evil, both in this world and in our own lives. And Lord, for anyone who is, who is seeking you this morning, would they hear you say, come, come in, you are welcome. And if that's you, if you are not a person of faith, or if you are a person of faith, but you just want more faith, then would you just pray these words in your heart with me? Lord Jesus, I believe. Lord Jesus, I believe. I don't know you nearly as much as I want to know you. Would you show yourself to me? Would you help my unbelief? And would you share with me this morning the power that Peter talks about? Would you give to me this morning the power of the Holy Spirit? Amen.